0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I suspect many of you have already heard your fair share of Christmas songs, whether it be uh, in the stores or on the radio. Of all the Christmas songs out there, one of the most frivolous of them all is the song Santa Claus is Coming to Town. I'm sure most of you know the lyrics, lyrics such as, he's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Now that song in itself has zero uh, artistic or musical value. Sorry to crush anyone with that. But I believe those lyrics still show us some important truth about humans. People cannot get away from this sense that there is right and there is wrong. That there is bad behavior and there is good behavior. We know this in our hearts. And why do we have that sense? That some things are good, some acts are bad. It's because God has made us in His image. He has created us with this the sense of His law written on our hearts. So that we know good and evil. And that's why we know in our hearts that, yes, some things are sinful, some actions are righteous. And because we have this sense of right and wrong, we intuitively know also that the world is not the way that it should be. That not everything is okay in the world. Look around you and you see so much injustice. It's a reality. People do sinful things. They live a life of wickedness, and they seem to just get away with it with no consequences. But this is also why we can celebrate the coming of Christ into the world as we do during this time of Advent and as we approach Christmas. One reason Christ came, and one reason why he will come again, is to set things right in the world. God promises that the injustice we presently see will not continue. Rather, he will come to judge the world and he will do it perfectly. So that brings us to the sermon theme, which is as follows. On the great day of the Lord, everyone will see God's distinction between the righteous and the wicked. We're going to see explore three things related to that theme. First of all, we'll look at the present test of faith, then we'll look at the future uh, judgment, and then we'll finally look at the the coming uh, prophet God will send. So first of all, the present test of faith. Now, uh, right before the sermon, right before uh, we prayed, right after the reading of God's law, we sang from Psalm 1. We sang words such as, How blessed is the one who shuns the path of sin. And we also sang words such as, The wicked are like chaff, that winds will blow away. In light of those words, I want to ask you one probing question. That question is this. Do you really believe those words from Psalm 1? That the man is blessed who shuns the path of sin, the wicked are like chaff, that winds will blow away. Why do I ask that question? Well, we might assent to the truth of those words. We we might, yeah, we we know it's true, but do we really believe them? I ask that because sometimes it's difficult to see how those words are true. Look at the world and the opposite might seem to be the case. It looks like the evil and the arrogant are sometimes blessed by God. They prosper. After all, they're often full of strength and power. And if you don't walk in their ways or sit in their company, you probably will be ostracized, attacked, or persecuted. That doesn't sound very blessed. Now, this presents a test of faith for God's people, including us. When we see those things with our eyes, it challenges us. Will we live by faith according to what God says in his word, or will we live by sight, by what our eyes see in this world? Will we keep trusting God's word and God's promises? Now, the people in the time of Malachi faced a similar test. Sadly, a large portion of Israel failed this test of faith. Listening, listen to the opening verses of our text. The Lord says, Your words have been hard against me. Israel responds, Well, how have we spoken against you? And the Lord says, Well, because you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge, or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts, And now we call the arrogant blessed, the opposite of Psalm 1. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Now, if these words sound familiar to you, it's because Israel made similar complaints and accusations against God at the end of chapter 2. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And although God answered those charges already, Israel didn't seem to really believe the Lord. They have not changed their hearts and minds. They've held on to their cynical attitude. And so the Lord needs to confront them with the same thing again. Now, in some sense, Israel did change. But as we can see, the change was not really genuine. They merely changed their outward, formal behavior. We can see that when they confess what they do. They say, oh, it's vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge of walking as in mourning before the Lord? They offered a sort of obedience, but it was not an obedience that sprang from true faith. Faith. They are just doing what they have to do, but there's no heart in it at all. It's as if they're saying to the Lord, look, we've tried this whole religion thing. It's just not working for us. Or we tried giving obedience a shot, but it's not paying the dividends, we thought, so we're just going to stop. To them, it looked like God's word in Psalm 1 had failed. Instead of calling blessed or happy the person who refuses to walk in the way of sin, Israel here calls the arrogant to be the happy ones, the blessed ones. What's going on in their hearts? Well, they have a completely wrong perspective about God, about worship, and about faith. See, there's no... A patiently waiting on God to fulfill His word, trusting that He is faithful. There's no sense of needing to persevere in faith through difficult times. They're more like the seed that fell on the rocky soil when trouble comes, they quickly withered away. They did all the right religious things and then thought that God owed them something. And that is a very dangerous attitude, beloved. Look at what happened to Israel here. When there wasn't the expected payout from their service to God, they became angry towards the Lord. And they're ready, it seems, to give up serving Him altogether. And that's what may very well happen to us if we take on this same attitude. That's why we need to guard against it. Because sooner or later we will hit a rough patch in life, and then we will really go through a crisis of faith when we think that God has been unfaithful to us. And regarding this danger, Reformed pastor Tim Keller puts it so well when he wrote, Religious people, like Israel here was doing in our text, they commonly live very moral lives. But their goal is to get leverage over God, to control Him, to put Him in a position where they think He owes them. Therefore, despite all their ethical fastidiousness and piety, they are actually rebelling against His authority. If you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey Him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper. Your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. Instead, you are serving as your own savior. Important words to keep in mind. And that was the majority of Israel in our text. However, thankfully, that's not all we see. There's another group here too. And these people truly feared the Lord. They took a different perspective, and they spoke different words. Verse 16 describes them as follows. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. and The Lord paid attention to them, and he heard them. Now, we don't know exactly what they said to each other, but we know that they spoke wisely as those who feared the Lord. You see, they trust that God will keep his promises, and their words demonstrate that trust. They firmly believe that, yes, God is just, no matter what our eyes might see presently, no matter what these grumblers might say, and so they know and they trust that God will be true to what he says in Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who shuns the path of sin, and the wicked are like chaff that will be blown away. And because they believe God's word strongly, they persevere in faith when their faith is tested through this trial. And Notice how they speak with each other. They refuse to go along with a crowd who grumbled against God. Instead, they sought out other faithful believers and they encouraged each other in the faith and what a wonderful thing to do. This is what Hebrews 10 instructs us to do, to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us do the same. And their different attitude and different words did not go unnoticed by God as we read the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And so we should take that to heart. God notices what his people say, he notices the words we use about him and about his word. It reveals what's in our hearts. And he remembers also the words and deeds of his people done in faith. Here he shows, he writes them down, so to speak. He's not going to forget them. And he will reward his children who serve him. It's still the same today. God notices what you say and what you do. So it's good to ask, what attitude attitude towards God and his word do you have? Is it more like the first group in our text who are just doing what they need to do because that's what's required of them? Or is it more like the second group, those who feared the Lord and trusted his word? That brings us to the second point. So in our text, we see two groups of people, those who feared the Lord and trusted him and those who grumbled against God. We should ask at this point, well, why could those who fear God take on a different attitude and speak differently? On what was their faith built? Well, surely it was built upon the Word of God, as our faith is always to be built on the Word of God. And that's because God had already shown himself through the rest of the Scriptures To be a God who punishes the wicked and saves the righteous. These people had access to many of the Old Testament scriptures. And they were full of examples of God's righteous judgment. His distinction between the righteous and the wicked. One clear example was the, the time of the great flood. God brought judgment on the wicked by drowning them in the waters of the flood. At the same time, he saved the believer, Noah, and his family. But notice one thing about that event. The Lord did not bring the flood right away, even though nearly all the world had rejected God and embraced wickedness. And if they were living in that time period... The grumblers of our text may have said the same thing they do here in Malachi 3. God isn't punishing the wicked. Evildoers are prospering. It looks like the arrogant are blessed. We know from the time of the great flood, this was not the case. Eventually, the flood came and God's judgment was crystal clear. But before that time, God patiently waited during the many years when the ark was being built. And that time of waiting served important functions. First of all, Noah, the man who feared God, he had to live by faith. He trusted God would do what he promised, what he said. And that required patient endurance on the part of Noah to see that day finally come. Eventually it did. Not only that, but the time of waiting allowed Noah to serve as a witness to the world that God would judge the earth. But perhaps most importantly, that period of waiting gave people an opportunity to repent and turn back to God. And that's so often why God suspends judgment even though the wicked seem to flourish, he gives them opportunity to turn back to him in repentance. And notice what God did after the flood. He suspended judgment again. He promised that as long as the earth remained, he would never destroy the whole world with the flood, no matter how sinful the world might get. And God did this for a similar purpose. He suspended judgment so that many would gain eternal salvation. The eternal salvation that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what did God need to do in order to make that eternal salvation possible for us? Well, amazingly, he needed to reverse the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. What do I mean by that? Let me explain. The people in our text are complaining to God. They say he isn't treating the righteous fairly and the wicked are getting off uh, free. In response, God assures us this isn't the case. He says, once more the day is coming, a day of judgment, when you will see again the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So God was assuring them. He will punish the wicked and save the righteous. But now we must understand this. That is the very opposite thing God did in the cross of Christ. In Jesus' crucifixion, God punished the righteous and saved the wicked. For Jesus Christ is the righteous one. And he was punished for the sins of wicked people, like you and me. Our sins were placed upon Christ by his grace. They were imputed to Christ, charged to his account. And then Christ bore them for us, the righteous one. And God did this so that you and I and many others would be saved. Look at what the Lord says in verse 17 about those who fear Him. He says, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And why can God do that for anyone on earth? It's because God did not spare His eternal Son, but gave Him up for us all. And that's His sheer grace. For Jesus Christ. Son of the Father served the Father his entire life long. If anyone should have been spared, it was Jesus Christ. But God did not spare him, the one who served him his whole life. And again, he did this so that you and me and I would be saved. And it's why this second group, those who feared the Lord, have a different attitude For those who fear the Lord know that they are sinful in themselves. They know that by nature they are only sinful chaff that would be blown away, as Psalm 1 says. And that would be us. And they know they can only be counted righteous by faith in Jesus Christ through his saving work. And that's what God did in the cross of Christ. He punished the righteous and he saved the wicked. But it's precisely also that saving work of Jesus Christ that at the same time ensures God will bring perfect judgment on this world in the end. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says through Paul in Acts 17. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead." Jesus Christ died, but he rose again. He's king of this world, and he will come to judge in perfect righteousness. And it's on the day of judgment that God will make perfectly clear the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those that serve God and those that don't. Now, regarding those who fear the Lord, God promises them, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. What wonderful expression that is. God will make us who believe in Christ his treasured possession of people he values so dearly and loves so much and holds close to himself. What wonderful a promise. And God will vindicate his children who fear him and serve him. He says in Chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. The Son of God's righteousness, his righteous judgment will disperse the gloomy clouds of injustice in this world. God will bring justice to his children who serve him, and it will be healing for them. But notice also the opposite side of this message. For those who reject him and continue in unbelief, well, God gives this clear word of judgment in chapter 4, verse 1. Behold, a day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. God will punish the wicked. We must take that to heart. This is the consistent message of the Bible. Our Lord Jesus makes this crystal clear also. In Matthew 25, he tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. He says to the sheep on his right hand who served him, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But to the goats on his left hand who did not serve him, he says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And the Lord Jesus concludes a parable by saying, These will go away into eternal punishment the righteous to eternal life love it take that to heart god is going to make this eternal distinction why would you ever harden yourself in unbelief do not disbelieve the word of god believe it turn to christ in faith turn away from sin be saved. That brings us to our last point. Now, Before the great day of the Lord comes, God calls us to live by faith. He calls us to walk in His ways. We can summarize what He calls us to do in second, uh, from the words from 2 Corinthians 5. There we read, "'We are always of good courage.'" And not by sight, and we make it our aim to please the Lord. And the end of our text guides us in this also. Chapter 4, verse 4 gives us this instruction Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. So if we are going to make it our aim to please the Lord Jesus, And that means aiming to live according to God's commandments. It means remembering the law of God. Think of how this matches again with Psalm 1. Blessed is he who shuns the path of sin, but his delight is in God's holy law. All day and night he ponders it with awe. He remembers the law of God. And to be sure our righteousness is first of all, In Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Whereas those who are counted righteous in Christ, we aim to grow in personal righteousness every day. So God says, remember my law. Delight in it. Follow it. This is how you make it your aim to please the Lord. We also walk by faith by trusting God's promise for the future. Look at what he promises people here in this text regarding the day of the Lord. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So God would make it clear that the day of the Lord was at hand. Elijah the prophet would come before that day, so they must be alert and look for him. And though they had to wait nearly 400 years after this prophecy from Malachi, God fulfilled his promise. He fulfilled it in the person of John the Baptist. He was the Elijah to come. And though, yes, he was not literally the Old Testament prophet Elijah, he came in the same way Elijah did. They both, Elijah and John, wore wore the same clothes. They were dressed in camel's hair with a leather, leather belt around their waist. They gave the same message called Israel to turn back to the Lord and serve Him. John came with that message to prepare Israel for the coming of Christ. Some in Israel listened to John. They repented. They were ready for the coming of the Savior. But many others did not. They hardened their hearts, and they were not ready. Eventually, God did strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This came to fulfillment in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But what we must understand is that the same sort of thing will happen again. We too live in a time of Advent. We are waiting for Christ to come, and He will come. And like it was for Israel, God sends messengers to prepare us for when Christ will return. That message has come to you also this morning. So let us get ready now. Let us heed this message now. The day Christ returns will be the great day of the Lord. And on that day, we will forever see God's distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Amen. Let us respond to the preaching of God's word by singing... Uh, From the Song of Zechariah, hymn 18, we will sing stanzas one, two, and three.